the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Gennetti. It is Super Bowl week. It is NBA trade deadline day. Those are the topics du jour today. I'm going to kick things off here with some Super Bowl facts about the Eagles and the Chiefs. My favorite prop bets, some of the financials from 2022, and certainly an outlook for each team in 2023 this offseason. Notable free agents, extension candidates, all that fun stuff. That's up first. A little Super Bowl preview first. And then we switch gears. Scott Allen comes on. He did God's work today. Blowing through another massive NBA trade deadline. Some 40-some second-round picks. Tons of player movement. Tons of superstar movement yet again. Couple teams that didn't do what we thought they were going to do. A couple teams that did exactly what we thought they were going to do. Uh, we got a nice, good discussion about the finances, some tax savings, some teams that are thinking about next year already, some teams that are all in to win right now. That's the back end of this show, the NBA trade deadline with Scott Allen. Okay, it is Super Bowl week. Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday, and I have yet to talk about the Super Bowl yet on this podcast. Been on a few other shows, broken down a few things. I want to bring some of those points to this segment here quickly before we turn the dial over to the NBA and really uh, crank out the news that ramped up big time today. Another big NBA trade deadline. That's next. But first, Eagles versus Chiefs. Super intriguing for a lot of reasons. You've heard all the storylines. That's been the the just juxt of uh, every big talk show this week, right? What is the uh, What are the narratives of the Super Bowl? They're fine. The, the biggest ones are the quarterbacks. Always, right? Patrick Mahomes. He's got a chance to win another $1.25 million tonight with the MVP. I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. He's already won $1.25 million by getting to the Super Bowl and winning the AFC once again for the Chiefs. So uh, his compensation going to be somewhere in the $32 million range this year, and that's on the cheap side. His contract kicks in, as you've heard on this show, pretty handedly next season and then for the next 12 seasons to go. So uh, we're just getting started with Patrick Mahomes, and if he wins another Super Bowl t- uh, this Sunday, the legacy may already be cemented. So a lot of dollars to go for a player that probably walks into Canton Monday morning if things go well here. Maybe already without that. Other bonuses. Juju Smith-Schuster has a chance for a million dollars if the if the Chiefs win the Super Bowl and he plays 50% of the offensive snaps. He didn't get that done in the AFC Championships game because of injury. I think that injury is going to keep him from hit, from playing most of those snaps this time around. But we shall see. That's a big enchilada hanging out there for him and an incentive-laden contract that he has really maxed out here. Chiefs DL Brandon Williams has a $50,000 bonus if he's active for the game and the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. has nothing to do with him being out there. He's just got to be on the sideline and the Chiefs have to win. Um, 30% playing time plus an Eagles win lands Linval Joseph and Amaku Su 125000 each. They signed really, really incentive-laden deals late in the season as kind of like deadline pickups off the street. Both have made impacts. I think there's a solid chance each play 30% of this game. So, um, you know, team win equals big-time paydays for these players. No question about it, especially if you're, you played half a season and you kind of rolled into the playoffs on one of the best teams in football. So that's the... Uh, the long and short of bonuses that get handed out. Obviously, there's postseason compensation for everybody in this game, winners and losers. I've got a piece about that on SpotTrack.com that you can find that kind of tracks all the way from wildcard week to, to Sunday and uh, and the payouts for the winners and the losers and the division leaders versus the wildcard teams and all that good stuff. The CBA lays out, let out pretty nicely, and it's pretty fair stuff. So uh, 
you know, everybody's making a little bit of coin this week, but certainly for some of these players, there's added bonus to getting the job done Sunday evening. The quarterbacks of the story, as I mentioned, not just because of who they are, but not just because they're both young and African-American, I believe for the first time ever in the history of the Super Bowl, one is making 45 million a year and one is making 1.5 million a year, right? Patrick Mahomes' salary cap hit is 17% of the league cap. That's one of the, that's the second highest since 2000. Um, only Peyton Manning at 18 and change, 18.8%, I believe, has been in this kind of conversation. The cap is going up. Things are getting a little looser, gooser, right? With this cap stuff. We talked about it a couple episodes ago. This doesn't scare me. I think this is just where things are going. You're going to have good teams that manipulated things properly, keep a quarterback cap high because they have to, because it's the one contract that they, that they just decide they can't restructure every single year, especially in Mahomes' case. They're going to have to go every other year with that. They didn't restructure this year. They did last year. They're going to in March again, in my opinion. And uh, it just so happens that this year specifically, he's on one of the higher cap hits. So uh, to me, it's that conversation is slowly going to fade away because everybody can be restructured now. And the quarterback just simply doesn't have to anymore. And I think those cap hits will remain higher and higher as we go down the line, especially as maybe possibly some of these contracts get shorter and shorter, like Deshaun and Dak and maybe Lamar, which means even more higher cap hits, even more restructures, but even more dead cap at the end of it, a la Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger, the list goes down the line. Running backs. It's a tale as old as time, and it's only getting worse. Miles Sanders, the starting running back for the Philadelphia Eagles, is the 43rd ranked running back in terms of money. And uh, Isaiah Pacheco is 95th on his rookie contract right now. It's just the lay of the land. Sanders is a pending free agent. We'll get to him in a second. Um, but we just do not see, and we almost did. We almost had Christian McCaffrey sitting here as the number one dog, the top dog in the Super Bowl. And it would have been rare and would have been an anomaly. But everything about McCaffrey's contract has been an anomaly. And the only reason I can say that is because nobody surpassed it in years, in years. And the cap has continued to go up. The value of running backs has basically remained the same, especially running backs that can catch the ball like he can. And we have seen players at least approach his type of value on the field, but not in the pockets. So until that happens, and I think it might this year, there's a chance Barkley gets up there. There's a chance Josh Jacobs gets up there. Uh, we'll see about a Jonathan Taylor contract, though he's not the versatile two-way player that these players I'm talking about are. And certainly Miles is going to get his payday at some point in time. But we almost got there. We almost had a really fun conversation about running backs in the Super Bowl. But alas, we're back to 43rd and 95th in terms of the starters. Uh, how about cash? Just straight up team cash. Something we don't talk about too much and not enough. The Eagles were the 20th highest spending team in terms of cash this year. And the Chiefs were 22nd. So we've got two bottom third, you know, past middle of the road here teams in terms of cash. That's part of the Mahomes contract. Obviously, Hertz is a big part of that for the Eagles, who have tons of miles, you know, high-paid miles in the defensive line and the linebacking core, and in the secondary with Darius Slay's deal. But again, it's sort of a, a random, there's a randomness to that. You know, you can structure these deals from a cash and cap perspective kind of however you want. Now, the cash gets locked in more or less in terms of outside of like pay cuts or restructures, big time restructures, not just cap restructures. But it's uh, this is also something we've seen quite a bit of. Usually we're closer to the top 10 in the in the in the 11s, 12s, 14s. 
you know, the, on that side of the half, this is one of the lower Super Bowls I can remember in terms of actual cash payroll for each team being where it is right now. Uh, how about off-season spending? Did either of these teams make gigantic cash splashes this off-season? It feels like the Eagles did, but they they didn't. You know, they did acquire AJ Brown. That's a big part of it, and obviously they threw 100 million dollars at him. You know, half of that basically guaranteed at signing. So that that's the big splashy move. There were some other acquisitions, right? The uh, the secondary pieces that were added, which worked out gangbusters before injury set in. And uh, look, some nickel and dime stuff here and there. But for the most part, you know, the Chiefs brought in MVS on a pretty cost-controlled contract. They replaced Tyron Matthew on a pretty cost-controlled contract. Yes, there were certainly additions and subtractions, obviously the Tyreek one being the biggest one here to talk about. But, you know, 19th for the Eagles, 24th for the Chiefs, that's your off-season spending rankings. So they were calculated. They didn't make free agent splashes like some of these teams did, Jacksonville, um, Cincy. They were kind of spread out the board. Let's use every avenue we have. Let's continue to build to the draft. Both these teams have outstanding starting players from, you know, that, that were homegrown draft picks, you know, especially on that offensive line for the chiefs right now, that's going to continue. And the Eagles are going to have to do a damn good job of that next year because, uh, the off season outlook, which we'll get to now is, isn't great. It's, it's not probably what you want for a team. If you root for this team and you see them in the Super Bowl and you think we're going to be back here five times because of Jalen hurts. If we just stay on the defensive side of the ball with this conversation for now, right? Javon Hargrave, the defensive tackle, he's up. I mean, he's going to cash. He's going to cash. I don't care how old he is. He's he's done this in Pittsburgh for a bunch of years. And now in, in Philadelphia on a three for 39, really nice free agent deal. Look, look, he's going north of 18, in my opinion. He, this is a $20 million player on paper from a productivity standpoint. Regardless of the age, that's just where we're headed here with a lot of these young players and, and, and certainly the veterans that are doing what they're doing. James Bradbury, cornerback they acquired from the Giants, right? It's a one-year $7.25 million contract right now. Look, he's going 16, 18 million plus. The cornerback market's in the 20s now. It's going to be in the low mid-20s really before we can blink an eye here. And uh, there's just something to be said about players like this who can reset their value on showcase contracts, we're going to see more players attempt this, this offseason, especially knowing that that salary cap is going to jump again in 2024 like it has this this March. You can bank on that if it didn't have the greatest year or an injury year or something like that. This is a great example of getting out of a situation that he didn't want to be in, going to a team he absolutely wanted to be in, and now trying to get this team to pay him at least close to fair market value, which in my opinion is about $18 million a year. So... Another mouth to feed. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, the player I mentioned before, coming over from the Saints uh, for a cup of coffee, kind of. Look, he was looking for a deal in around $10 million per year, which makes sense for the type of player and the type of role he has. We're, we're kind of sliding backwards on the slot corner just a little bit, and, but this kid is versatile. This kid can play safety. I, I think he'll be a safety, and uh, he ha- he may have to come down. He may have to live in the Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer world, even though he's much, much younger at this point. But a situation where if you're staying on a team you want to be on, you're going to have to take discounts. Just feels like with his position and his role, that's kind of the world we're going to live in. So are we talking about a nine-year, you know, a three for 27 for him? That probably gets it done, especially if you can structure that cap properly for 2023. TJ Edwards, the middle linebacker, guy who signed a one-year deal, basically uh, incentive-laden. He's in the running for, you know, NFL honors right now, basically. 
This is a kid that's going to reset his market. Uh, we know where that middle linebacker situation's gone with Roquan Smith at 20. He's not getting there, you know, but he's going to jump himself up into the good teens here. And that's just where most of these players who kind of lead the center of the defense are right now. And I haven't even given you, you know, the old dogs, right? The Fletcher Coxes, the Brandon Grahams, the Derek Barnett's who were kind of dangling on this roster, but still producing at really nice levels for this team. They basically took total restructured deals, you know, those, those three players just to stick around because they knew exactly what, what the situation was here, especially if Jalen Hurts was healthy and the front office was publicly stating both with words and actions, we're going all in on this kid right now in 2022. And this is where they've gotten with it. So uh, there's a lot to be said here, right? Robert Quinn, Brandon Graham, Javon Hargrave, Fletcher Cox. It's a monster, monster, monster list of Philadelphia Eagles defensive players, mostly on that edge or on that line, you know, not named Hassan Reddick, that are walking into free agency right now in, in one way or another. They're not going to be able to feed all these mouths. They're just not, you know, center Travis, Jason Kelsey, uh, the starting guide, Ozzy Samalo, Andre Dillard, a, a swing tackle for this team, who's certainly had, you know, plenty of good action for them. Boston Scott, the running back, Miles Sanders, the running back, there's a lot, a lot of miles of feet here. So I don't want to put, you know, fear mongering out there, but this is a situation where they truly were in an all in stage. And it wasn't so much about what they added, but what they added in conjunction with what they knew they were about to lose after this season, which is probably at least half of the names I just laid out to you. What's it going to take to keep Miles Sanders? I know, I know that's going to be a lot of conversation, especially if he has the Super Bowl. I think many people assume he will here. I believe 12 million is about right. I really do. Now, there's going to be some front offices that won't go north to seven because Leonard Fournette just kind of broke things again with this three for 21 and then an absolute shutdown situation in Tampa Bay. This kid's doing more than that. All right. And I realize the age isn't on his side right now. He's got some miles on that tread. No pun intended. Uh, played it, played it, pit. He's just feels like that type of running back that can go and go and go. And maybe the floor doesn't fall off till he's 30, sort of like Le'Veon, although I can't put him in that conversation here with all the, the drama. There's not going to be that kind of drama. What there's going to be from Miles Sanders, and I believe this wholeheartedly, are contenders asking for his services, which may even drive his price tag up even more. You might think, ah, no contender is going to pay you know, a premium for a running back. Well, I think there are more than one of these contenders, especially in the postseason, that realize they simply did not have enough in the running game to get this done. And I think uh, you're going to see Joe Mixon fall off the Bengals roster. And his backup, P. Ryan, is, is headed for free agency. Devin Singletary is going to fall off the Bills roster. And yes, Naheem Himes and, and uh, James Cook are there, but they're not Miles Sanders. And I really put a couple of those teams like that. You know, Can the Chargers use an upgrade or a, a compliment to Austin Eckler, something they've been trying to draft for 17 years, right? It feels like the list goes down the line. I think Dallas is going to keep what they have. It sounds like it in, in terms of both Zeke and Tony Pollard. But they're going to be big name teams out there. My, the Miami Dolphins, maybe the biggest, and I'd put them as the, uh, the the favorites in the clubhouse for a player like Miles Sanders, for a player like Josh Jacobs, if he walks out of out of Vegas without a franchise tag, that's a team right there that could absolutely be all in on a player like this. That could absolutely change their game with what is a rounded rounded informed passing game, a good quarterback with Tua if he's healthy, and maybe just needs this bang punch from a player that has proved he can do that inside and out when he's healthy. So I, I think 12 million a year is right. Even if, you know, the naysayers say that we're just not going there with running backs anymore, especially at his age. I just think the amount of teams and the 
the sturdiness, the stability of the teams making the offers are going to slowly push this thing about to that 12 million per year mark. Jalen Hurts, I talked about it a little bit before, maybe even last week with the market value stuff. I'm not of the belief that this kid can raise his value with a win on Sunday. He can raise his brand, right? And there'd be a hell of a lot more money coming with that, (laughs) right? Outside the game. And I think that's well-deserved. Mahomes certainly has benefited from that over his first couple of seasons here and all his success. I'm just not of the belief that win or lose, you you know, he could go up or down market value. No, it, it can't. It can't. Certainly from a statistical game you know, standpoint, he could have a bad game and his completion percentage might drop under 66%. Sure. That's a reality of something that can happen. But if you want to put that, that game under that big of a microscope, when it means we're talking 190 million guaranteed or 205 million guaranteed, I don't see it that way. I don't believe any agent sees it that way. And I think when they sit down, no team actually sees it that way because that would be unfair to judge any front office with one move, right? With one single contract when there's 53 to 60 on a roster at one time and you get 40 cracks at it every year. So I think it's wrong to to think like that, even though, like I said, the awareness, the brand, the promotion, the promotability, that's all going to be part of Sunday. No question about it. But when you get on the field, and I think Howie Roseman has said this out loud and I, I credit him for it. This kid's already done enough. We don't need to see another game. Sunday Sunday does not reflect our thinking about where this is going financially for Jalen Hurts. We know all the numbers. We know the guaranteed threshold. We know where this is headed. Um, we put all of our eggs into this basket for this kid this year, and he turned it back on us, and he produced. Yes, there was the injury, and yes, we're going to have to build that into this somehow. Maybe that's per game actives. Maybe there's some uh, some you know some exercise situations where they could get out of an option bonus, the third option bonus that they love to use if they need to, whatever it's going to be. Um, certainly, that's a red flag with a player of his size that has shown he's going to get banged around every now and then, and that's just life with, as Jalen Hurts in the NFL. But we're going for Aaron Rodgers here, okay? We're going there. I mean, we're going for 50.2 million. Joe Burrow and Jalen Hurts have done enough, in my opinion, to warrant that. You can talk about it like it's Patrick Mahomes kind of coming into his own and we're going to get there. I think that's the real value. I I don't love that 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 Aaron Rodgers is the player we're banking this off of because I think it's two very separate situations. And if you want to talk about the top of the mountain being Kyler Murray, that's perfectly fine with me. Uh, I still think this means we're going to 50 because of the cap adjustment, because of where guarantees are going, and because there's five players, Lamar, Herbert, Burrow, Tua at some point in time, and certainly Jalen Hurts that are going to be in this conversation. And oh, by the way, Derek Carr is probably going to need a new new contract in a week, if and when he's released from the Raiders. Maybe not. Maybe he's traded, but just another guy who's going to cash in. Jimmy Garoppolo is going to cash in, not two hundred million guaranteed, but every little bit, right? Just gets the conversation rolling about how important and how priced this quarterback market is. So, so that's the Eagles side of this thing. What about the uh, the Chiefs? I mentioned Juju Smith-Schuster already. He's got a chance to bank another $1 million with a win and 50% playing time. What does he do again? This was a one-year $3.25 million contract at its base, at its core, with basically $11 million of incentives, and he's going to get almost all there. right? I mean, this is gonna, he's going to get to himself to about $12 million when it's all said and done this year. Um, at one point in time, he was looking for about $15 million a year. Uh, that was with the Steelers when he was kind of trying to get himself out of that situation. Ended up going back there on a one for eight, which was still to this day a little random to me. I think he probably has to compromise a little bit. 
um, especially if he wants to stick in this team, which I think he should. This team has taken care of him through the injuries, uh, through the up and downs. The incentives clearly were all things that that were attainable because he's attained them. He, he, he has scored his way more than base deal this year, which means he's in a role that is successful for him based on how everybody kind of anticipated things going. So I think sticking with this team makes sense. And you come down on your pricing tag a little bit, right? Is it three for 30? Is it three for 36? Are you around that $12 million mark? Maybe a year and a half fully guaranteed at signing, toss in a roster bonus for a year or two that, that locks in today so that you know you're going to be here for two more seasons, which is really all that matters. Uh, you want some comfort right now in this offense in a system that you know is going to be fluid. And if you're healthy, you know, you got one of the best, maybe the best quarterback of this generation tossing you the ball from all different angles. So that's probably Juju's value right now. I wouldn't go too much north of 10 million per year to stick around here. Now, look, it's a it's a weaker wide receiver market. So I can understand the guy who's taken, you know, taking it on the chin a little bit here financially if the past couple of seasons because of injury thinking, I, I got to go get this thing. I got to get out there and test this market and see if, you know, the bears are going to go bonkers for me, or even the Cowboys want to make me a number two at 15, 16 million a year, right? Can we go that March on a team that I'd love to be on that can simply just pay more right now than the chiefs can. I'm not going to knock the guy for doing that, but if he wants to lock in three for 36 with the chiefs tomorrow or Monday morning, I'm not going to blame that either. That's obviously good business and good football sense. Orlando Brown Jr. is the big one, the left tackle here. Acquired from Baltimore, he was a right tackle then. He wanted to be a left tackle. He wanted to be paid like a left tackle. Last year, everything was on his side. A, they gave up two firsts to bring him in. Value could not have been you know, bigger, more maxed out. He played well in 2021. So he kind of backed up the, the move from right to left, going to a team that valued him better and certainly being with a quarterback that, that was a little bit easier to protect. Things kind of slid down this year when he played on this on this franchise tag, right? The 16 and change franchise tag. I don't know that anymore, even though the value still sort of says that, the market value stuff still says this about him. I'm not sure we can get him to 23 and change, which is the top of the mountain for, for offensive linemen here. I know that's certainly what he wants. But I, if I have to be honest, and this is the team that has, has proved that they will... They will be dangerous instead of going too big and too rich on one singular player with Tyreek, obviously, and with Tyron Matthew. I, I think a second franchise tag's coming here. It carries about a $19.9 million cash and cap based on the 120% of his last franchise tag. So it's, it's a big number. You know, that's a big number. That's another $20 million cap to add to this Chiefs table right now. But at least as a placeholder, especially in February, right? Maybe even leading up to the March 15th league year. Think it makes sense to get that on the books, see what you have. And maybe it's a situation where you're flipping this guy and you just plan to draft late in this first round or, uh, or somewhere in the, in the early second round with one of those picks you acquired. You're just going to find yourself, you know, uh, some sort of versatile offensive lineman that you can move around a little bit. And, and maybe you're going back to free agency to go 12 million a year on somebody who's proven they can do it. Just isn't, you know, young and motivated enough to want $100 million right now, which is basically where Orlando Brown wants to be on a five to four year contract. So I think we're getting second tag situation here for Orlando Brown Jr. Uh, Chris Jones is the final name to talk about here. Still one of the most underrated players in the league. And you're going to see why I'm saying that Sunday, in my opinion. I think he is 
going to be all over this field on Sunday in Arizona. And I think Jalen Hurts is going to meet him a couple of times, maybe maybe laying on his back. He's in an, entering an expiring contract, um, a good contract. I'm not going to say this guy was underpaid at any point in time. He certainly outkicked his coverage with this contract pretty early on, but we're entering the final year of it. It does carry a high cap hit, which benefits him, right? He was 29.4 on their cap this year. It's about 28.2 right now this year or in 2023. He's set to make 20 million cash. So it's not the worst situation. You know, it's less than he's made the past two seasons from a total cash standpoint. It's not the worst situation for either side here if they have to let this thing run its course, and they may. They may choose to let it run its course, but from a cap perspective and from a football perspective, most of all, I just don't see the Chiefs wanting to get rid of this guy. Not not this year, not in 2024, maybe in 2025. But can you redo a deal that fully guarantees two years at around that 30 million per year mark, right? Or close enough to it. So two for 60 is probably about what we're talking about with these guarantees. Structure with some void years to make sure the caps are at work for everybody. This is a guy, if you lose him in three years and you're sitting there with a dead hit that's in the teens, maybe the low 20s, you just have to say it was worth it, <laughs> right? It's one of those guys where, you know, we'll deal with it in 2025. We'll, we'll take our medicine then. But we need this guy on, our, on the field, on the defensive side of the ball for us for two more seasons, especially with Kelsey and Mahomes and this offensive line all intact for that time, for the most part, uh, what I would consider their true core. So I think something gets done both for cap and football purposes. Uh, but look, you're going to piss them off, but there's certainly a route where you can let this thing run its course, pay him the 20 million cash this year, maybe even hand him a little bit of bump because of what's what I'm about to say. Hand him a little bump, pay bump, keep, you know, restructure that cap it just a little bit, take on your dead cap when you need to, and then franchise tag him next year, right? And, and live with that cap hit for that player, a player you absolutely think you, is vital to your roster in 2024, and, uh, and go from there. If I'm his agent, and they're telling me that I can't do a full-out extension right now at around $30 million per year, this is what I'm asking for. I'm asking for, otherwise I'm demanding a trade. I'm asking for a small bump, something they did with Julio Jones in, in Tennessee, uh, we've heard, we've seen it a few times now. Just a small bump could be a signing bonus. They can prorate with void years if they need to. But I'm getting a little bit more cash in hand. Maybe even incentive base, right? The Jordan Poyer route. You know, let's up the sack incentives a little bit. Let's up the playing time incentives a little bit. Let's up the championship. You know, let's toss on a Super Bowl appearance bonus. Blah blah blah. Fine, I'd be satisfied with that package, knowing the situation I'm in. But I'm also adding a, a no a no tag clause, so that they can't do this to me next year. And he's earned it and he deserves that. And more and more players are getting this. It's rare on the defensive side of the ball, I'll say this, but you're talking about one of the defensive players of the year on an annual basis. So that's how I would handle this. If they're not willing to go two for 60 fully guaranteed for two years, I'm asking for, give me a small pay bump so that I can live with life a little better here. And, and at least, you know, and it's not about him making money in this case. It's about the world understanding that the Chiefs value him properly, which is we, under, we, we get it. You know, we're, we're in between a rock and a hard place, but you're one of more, our most important assets. We're going to make sure that the world knows we're taking care of you at least a little bit, not as much as you know, maybe we should be, but at least a little bit with a bigger incentive package. And we're going to make sure that you can't get franchise tagged next year. So if you're going to walk, you're going to walk. We're going to try like hell to sign you during the season or certainly during the, uh, the waiver period. And if it doesn't happen, then, you know, 
we're better for having you when we had you. That's the route I'm taking if I'm sitting with Chris Jones looking at the Chiefs scenario for 2024 or 2023. Okay. That's my version of Super Bowl week. Nerdy as hell, right? I've got some fun prop bets. I don't know. Maybe I'll tweet those instead. The Gatorade color is interesting. There's tons of positive odds for the Gatorade, which is such a crapshoot every year. I like this one. I've read this one a couple of times now. It's plus 130 that the opening kickoff will not be a touchback. I love this. Are you kidding me with all the pressure and all the, all the hoopla that goes on and how much they sit around and wait for that damn kickoff to actually happen? Plus 130 is that it doesn't go in the end zone? Hell yes. I, I, I think that's just stealing money right there. Um, the Pacheco numbers look good. His, his, his rushing, his total yards from scrimmage, things like that. A couple of touchdowns. I just feel like he's going to be one of those, uh, those X-Factor players. You know, betting on tight ends that aren't named Travis Kelsey feels like the right move, even if it's Dallas Goddard, who's going to be a little bit less on the positive side of things. Just feels like it's going to be one of those types versus an all-out A.J. Brown, MVS type, you know, blow it off, blow off the doors type game. Uh, but with that said, I like the over quite a bit here, quite a bit. Um, I think 50 is about right. But I think there's a world where both of these quarterbacks sort of look at each other like one-on-one basketball <laughs> and go on the field thinking, it's just my time to show off a little bit here. Uh, and I love that. And I don't know how healthy either of them are, but I think in a perfect world with tons of adrenaline and certainly a game that that reaches the highest levels, these are two quarterbacks specifically, maybe even two offenses and offensive schemes that could just go and go and go. So I've heard a lot of smart people say otherwise and that the under is the better bet. And by and large, the under on most of these props and most of these team bets went out. So I'm not going to tell you that what I'm saying here is intelligent by any means. It's just a gut feeling. I'm going to give you one other gut feeling I have. We saw a wide receiver win the the, uh, MVP last year at really good odds. I've talked a lot about the Eagles defensive players and how they're all in on right now because March 15th is a big who the hell knows. Hassan Reddick's a real guy, okay? He came from situations that underserved him, under, underutilized him, undervalued him, even though he pounded, you know, 10-plus sacks out in many of those situations. He's got like 20 sacks over the last two, <laughs> over the last couple of uh, seasons here. And he's earned every single one of them. He's a monster. Nobody's going to need to motivate him for this. Nobody's going to need to tell him where to be for this. This is a guy that has a role in a defense that, paid him and bought him for this role specifically. Now, Mahomes is Mahomes, and it appears he's pretty damn healthy right now after what I've been reading and seeing. But this is a guy that can get to the quarterback, and I don't think it matters whose it is. So if you want to put 30 to 1, you know, plus 3,000 on Reddick to win the MVP, why the hell not? You know, throw a couple of coffees at it and see if you can get that that one to land. I think that the voters are more and more motivated now to go against the quarterbacks. I think that's probably in the back of their minds. It's just really hard to do. It's really hard to do. So if you tell me Mahomes win this thing again, uh, of course he did. I'm just giving you an alternative. That's all. Let's talk some basketball. All right, Scott, another big day. We had, uh, what is this, three years in a row now where this league just does not disappoint at the deadline. They kept firing away about noon Eastern and all started to compile on top of each other. And that was the aftermath, right? <laughs> we, had, we already had a Kyrie Irving and a Kevin Durant move in the middle of the night, of course, for those waking up this morning to it. I guess let's start there. We, I've gotten a pretty good breakdown about the Kyrie move from Keith. And it's, I think it's an is what it is move. My, my thinking with that was what was going to be next? 
What was mm-hmm. Dal- what was Dallas's next move? Did they make another move, Scott, outside of Kyrie Irving? No, that was it. Which is surprising because I mean Keith, when he was on the other day, said he wouldn't be surprised if Keith, uh, Christian Wood ended up moving uh, at this deadline in because Dallas he's not going to sign. Yeah, because he's not going to be there next year. Well, so. I mean, he's not going to do the extension right now, but he yep. could, you know, sign as a free agent back with Dallas if he wanted to. So at, at the I guess deal. Right, I guess da- Dallas is roll, rolling the dice with that one. Okay, well, let's leave it alone. They're a wait and see team, no question about it. I guess to some degree, Phoenix is too. But what's funny to me, Scott, with this Kevin Durant deal is it's it's almost identical to the move we all thought was coming before the season when he requested the trade the trade demand. Right, this is exactly it. I mean, Aiton was thrown in there, but then when Aiton signed the contract, he was taken out of commission for a while. There, he was able to be pushed into this deal. I've heard both sides of that. I've heard Phoenix didn't want to give him up because they liked the the way that he fit with this new model. And or Brooklyn didn't want him. Do you, where do you stand on that? What side of the fence? I'm I'm gonna say Phoenix didn't want to give him up. Yeah. Why Why do it? Right. He's a complementary piece right. to what Paul is, what Booker is, and what yeah, Durant because is. It, it, if you ended up moving him, who's your big man going into the into the postseason, you know? Yeah, my thinking, Scott, is Brooklyn probably didn't love it. And I bet, I, you know what? I bet Phoenix tried, just to say that out loud. I bet Phoenix tried to make that the centerpiece of this because losing Bridges is a big loss. That's a five to a player who's out the door mm-hmm. now. You're right. He's, a, he's, a, he's the perfect piece to build around for a team that is starting back at the bottom where Brooklyn is because he can do everything. And he can fill up the, the stat board for you in a lot of different ways. And he makes adding players to that team now simpler because he can fit any role they ask him to do. So that's a big loss for Phoenix. But my thinking is this, and I'll finish on on, on it with this. They can trade eight in July. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They can, they can take their time, find a big man to replace him, either through the draft or, well, not so much through the draft anymore, but, you know, via free agency. And we see centers go for vet men all the time. Right, a dozen setters are down near that vet min price tag. It's kind of like the running back in football. And if they find a, a, a trade partner on July first, it's a better situation for everybody. So I, th- I think that's a TBD. But yeah, the, I, the, getting Durant was the that's right. Get, anyway, get, possible get him first, see where it gets you, then deep into the postseason, and then assess yeah. from there. But you at least got a a generational player on your team, and that's. Step one. And who knows? Maybe the the implementation of Durant with Booker is going to be so much offense that that Aiton's going to have no choice but to sit in that paint and be a true center. You know what I mean? He's, he's right. going to have to turn into a different version of what he's been because there's just too many, too many bodies doing too many things around him now. So uh, why isn't this team the favorite? I feel like in years past, Vegas would have immediately jumped to put them at the top. And they're not doing... Is it Durant's injury? Is it that they believe it's going to take a minute to gel this thing together? I, I, I think one? that... I think yeah, that I mean, the, the Brooklyn disaster has to be in the back of people's minds here, right? Yeah, and, and the way Boston and Milwaukee have been all season, I mean, they've been at the top this whole time. And so I don't think this trade is going to catapult them to the number one odds. But, but even in the West, Scott, it's a lot of credit to Denver, who didn't do a much today. They did, they did 
I thought was a nice, smart move. But credit to them that they're still holding court here as the boring, really damn good team in the West, right? Yeah. And, and again, Vegas may see this as a mm-hmm. – let me re- rephrase this. Trade deadline acquisitions usually aren't the thing that gets you over the hump. Usually, in this yeah. league, which is in so funny because every it other is. league, it's the different. I, right. I, I, it's a great point. It's a great point. It usually takes a minute in this league to figure it out. They actually do have Phoenix above the uh, the, the Denver Nuggets in the West right now. So okay. after all go. the trade deadline. I wonder if it got bet up there. I wonder if it got bet to that point. Oh, I bet. Yeah. And, and Denver didn't do a ton of stuff. You know, they moved a couple pieces, but, you know, it wasn't anything splashy. But, um, yeah, solid. it'll be interesting to see. Okay. The team that surprised you the most outside of Phoenix, because I think a lot of us did not see this one coming this time around. Yeah, I don't think so either. Outside of Phoenix? Oh. Mm. I mean, as a whole... I guess I can't say I'm surprised that the Lakers completely uprooted their entire roster again for with LeBron. Are we going there already? I thought for sure no. you'd give me 20 minutes. Yeah, I, I'm not. I can't say I'm surprised by that. Um, I don't I, let me let's get it out of the way, Scott. I'm really impressed with the Lakers. They got better the last two days. They they got better. They 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 had a depth yeah. where I, the the last word I thought I'd be saying with the Lakers is depth, and they have it. They have four to five players now that can that can cycle in with AD with LeBron. That makes sense. There's there's positional depth. There's I think there's a legitimate starting five there now, which is something we haven't said all year about that team. I, I give Palenka a hell of a lot of credit. And by the way, I was ready. I was fully prepared today on this show to just start annihilating that team for doing the dumbest move ever with their first two, you know, their two first round picks just to get a third body in there for, for AD and LeBron. That's exactly not what they did. They did the exact opposite. They held on to one of those picks and they brought in bodies. So I, I give them all yeah, the credit I, in the world. I don't think it's going to work by the way. I think they're still a fringe playoff team, but what they were able to do with so little, I, I, it's a, it's all credit to them. No, I agree with that. The, the fact that they, everyone talked about how bad that roster was all season up until this point. And now you're right. They do have some depth. They do have some big guys that could fill in. If, if Davis goes down, they bring in a Bamba. We'll see how that works out. They've got Hachimura that they brought in earlier. So they not only have depth, but they have um, diversity from different positions because they brought in the center, the power forward. They brought in so uh, much Vanderbilt being talk- from a power forward. And, right, you know, right. Uh, so so much was being made about D'Angelo Russell and how he's coming back to the Lakers and how he's never really found his footing except for that one year in Brooklyn. But he doesn't have to be the guy. Right. I mean, Dennis Schroeder is a, a viable playoff experienced point, point guard. So that, that's an A-B situation at point mm-hmm. guard. That, that's not a situation where Russell has to come in and score 25 points every night. No chance. He just has to compliment Dennis Schroeder at, at, at every step of the way. And, and I think that works in that regard. That's That's a better situation than Westbrook, who consistently tried to be the guy, the guy, the guy. They've got a team aspect to them now. It makes a hell of a lot of sense. Right, and let's keep in mind, Russell's been on the Warriors. He was on the Nets, on Minnesota. He's played yeah. with some high-caliber 
players. Yep. And so going into a situation where he's going to play with Davis and James, it, it may work better than some are anticipating because he does have that experience now. Yeah. Obviously, he's coming back to Los Angeles, but he's a different person than when he was drafted by them. In so, a different role. Yep. In a different role. Correct. He doesn't have to be the guy as the, you know, the draft pick that came in. He's got supporting yeah. cast sort of like he had in Minnesota. It's just a different situation now. So I do. I I agree with you. You have to give credit to Polinka for, you know, for all of the media, you know, yeah. band, I'm you in know, there j- jumping. I'm raising on. my hand. I'm raising my hand. I was killing them. Some of us didn't think they were going to do anything, and it, come the eleventh hour, they they did something. So, yeah, we'll see how far it gets them. <laughs> yeah, look, LeBron being in the playoffs is just good for everybody. So if that's what happens here, it's successful as, as far as the league goes. I mean, I mean, fr- from their odd standpoint, they jumped up to plus uh, ten, uh, ten to one, a hundred to one. Now they're down to fifty-five to one. So. You know, some people like the move after. Uh, I think there's the, a world where they're like the sixth seed in the West. I'm not joking. I think they could get that high with this, oh, with I, this establishment now. I, I do too, um, especially with how condensed the West is. And, you know, yeah. we saw a lot of jockeying going on today. Um, they probably did put themselves in a better situation than some. So if some of these injuries, um, you know, end up happening to some superstars, you know, Steph, there was already a have one. Yeah. There was one, a report with Steph that came out. I didn't read it to see what the timeline was or what the update was, but I saw it came out. Um, but you know, there's that situation. It's Zion, it's gonna be it's gonna be mid March for for Steph Scott. It's gonna be weeks. Okay. Yeah. You know, Zion Zion's been out forever at this point. Still gonna be out. You know, so they're in now that we're getting into even more crunch time as we get closer. Teams are gonna play harder and harder getting closer to that play-in. So you're right. Yeah. The, the health is going to be key. And the fact that the Lakers ended up getting some depth to help with that, um, we'll see how it gels. I'll give you my team and let you run with it. What the hell did Toronto do today? <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, look, they bought. Jakob Pertl is a player. I mean, and they're yeah. going to probably extend him and make him one of the cornerstones. Yes. Do they just think that adding him to this current fold is going to work out? I mean, obviously, it's been a weird year, right? Scotty Barnes, huge step back in year two, sophomore slump. Um, Siakam's been good, you know, to the point of where I thought he was a major trade pick, you know, asset. And and Ananobi is really good. You know, he's he's a guy you want to keep probably unless you're getting two or three first round picks, which I believe they were asking for. So I, I get, but not Van Vliet. Did Van Vliet just not have trade value? Is that what you, where you think this ended up? That's a guy that had to move, right? Or it could have been the ask was too high That's at this crazy. point. You know, he's got – he has this year, and then he has a player option for 23-24. So, you know, he could opt out or opt in, depending. Probably going to opt out uh, with the way he's been playing. Um, just getting nothing yeah, it's interesting. Him, though, you know? That makes no sense to me. It, it's, it is an interesting move. I think this is more of a – they re- they retain the rights. They'll sign him in as a free agent, and and you know the ask may have been high. They may have thought this is the one piece we sort of need to move forward. A, a big guy that can actually fit yeah. down there uh, in the paint there, and and he's been playing phenomenal in in San Antonio. So um, 
Can I the throw fact that they Go didn't the, the fact that they everyone was pegging them as back and <laughs> forth more as the as we got closer, people were thinking they were gonna just sell the farm and they didn't sell the farm. So um the front yeah. office must really like where they're at and they're slow playing it, which I I give them a lot of credit for not just going crazy and pulling the trigger and, and selling everything and ripping it off, especially knowing you have a Scotty Barnes in there. Maybe it's a slump and he comes back next year in year three and, and per- jumps up. So I, I give them credit for slow playing. This. Okay. I, I agree with everything there. That that's I think that's the right way to look at this. Can I throw one more wrench into this and see what your take is? Did the East get weaker today? Is that part of this? Did they look did they look around the room and say, hey, this our starting five when when we're right, when we're healthy, when we're right, I why aren't we top four, top five in the East next year without yeah. really doing too much, you know? That's a phenomenal point because if you look at the moves that were made, Boston, they they got a big in Mascala. That was it. The Bucs brought in Jay Crowder, which I really like because of the defensive part. So that that's something to watch, especially on that Bucs team that's already stellar in on defense. Yeah. 76ers, they made um, a nice move. Cleveland mm-hmm. did nothing. Nothing. Bro- Brooklyn, they brought some pieces back, but Brooklyn's weird. <laughs> that's yes. They're, they're they're weird. Miami, they did Nothing, Nothing from an acquisition standpoint. They shipped somebody out just yeah. to move cash. Um, the Knicks were trying. They brought in Hart on an expiry. On an expiry, yeah, yeah. Early this morning, um, and, and got Reddish out. Atlanta, they didn't move Collins or anything like that. So nope. you know, and then Chicago, they didn't do anything. And, and they're going to blow it up. They're going to blow it up this summer. I mean, everybody knows that now. Yeah, especially with the conversations of Levine yeah. going potentially going to the Knicks. So yeah, the, the, they're just going to slow play and then go into the off season and then, mm-hmm. and like you said, probably blow it up. And then Toronto's in the tenth seed. It, we just talked about them. Um, and the Wizards, they didn't do very much. And then they're going to buy out Barton. And then Indiana took on some junk, and they're going to buy out a bunch of guys. So mm-hmm. you're right. Uh, the The East really didn't do much no. to help themselves. And so Toronto probably said, we're in the 10th seed. Um, we, we can probably jump up. You know, they're only four games out of six, seventh seed. So yeah. um, that one acquisition may be that piece that was missing. And even if it's not for now, right? Even if they don't consider themselves much more than a play-in team, Everybody we're talking about here, with the exception of Van Vliet, is probably under contract next year. If you assume that a that Pirtle gets the extension, we think he's going to get now, you know, and it's a four month kind of trial to get to see if that works out. And I think it will. I think he and Siakam are a nice little pair there, and and Anobi's, you know, the wing that complements that nicely. You can go find a point guard, right? I mean, you can put a point guard out there. There's going to be three or four available uh, at a pretty good at a pretty good decent clip this free agency. So. That's my take is that we read the room exactly backwards, especially after Drank got traded. That was like the nail in the coffin for the East, you know, some of those fringy East teams to say, whoa, wait a minute here. You know, all we got to do is knock over Cleveland and we're a three seed, basically. You know, Milwaukee and, and, and Philadelphia are going nowhere. Let's be frank. They're stacked and they're, they're pretty locked and loaded for two years here. Mm-hmm. So, or excuse me, Boston. 
So those are your three at the top of this list. And outside of a Jalen Brown trade, which I don't think is going to happen this summer, there's going to be, you know, a big three at the top. And then it's about fighting for the rest of the spots. But if we're talking top five at any conference, you've got a legitimate chance to sneak yourself into a championship game. Let's be perfectly frank about that. So I, I think I give them credit. It, it's funny. Cause we talked about how they had three or four guys that everybody wanted. Well, why wouldn't right. they want them? <laughs> right? right. Why wouldn't exactly. they want to keep them? Right. Unless they got blown away by they, offers. Why wouldn't they just keep them? Yeah. That's why I say, I, I give the front office credit for slow playing the situation. They didn't have to go, um, completely 180 on their their season just because everyone else was saying they needed to. Yeah, it's. I think it's a great approach. All right, do we need to talk any more about Durant or anything in this East? The East was kind of boring today, outside of what Brooklyn did. But we, I feel like Brooklyn just did whatever the hell they could do today, and then they'll figure it out this July. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Otherwise, it was like I said, bring on some junk to get rid of it or yeah. um, some, some minor pieces, you know, Atlanta brought in Sadiq Bay in a 14 trade mm-hmm. uh, Philadelphia acquired uh, Jalen McDaniels from Charlotte, but otherwise that was it. Let's talk, let's switch to some money stuff. Let's talk about some of the tax implications that happened today. Golden state for a minute there was like 80 million saved in tax. And then they made a really nice late move that we'll talk about in a second here and still shaved about 8 million off their tax bill. I think the Clippers saved about 8 million themselves. So, you know, some of the bigger spending teams at least got down a little bit, even though the, the, the tax bills are absurd. And and just based on our numbers, Scott, Golden State's going to pay about 162 extra. The Clippers are set to pay about 137 extra. That's on top of their normal salaries for, a luxury tax purpose here. Um, even the Bucks are approaching 100 million extra, which for that that franchise has to be just killing them right now. Um, Portland and Philadelphia get under the threshold. I get it from Portland's standpoint; they haven't been under in a long time. They've been they've been overpaying the McCollum Lillard situation for quite a few years. So to get you know themselves at least into some kind of health makes sense. Do you think that Philadelphia is nickel and diamonds things too much? Do you think that the Sixers need to believe in themselves more and should have been pushing this gamut? Because that, from a money standpoint, you can you can see the argument that they are Boston Red Soxing this thing, you know? Um, no, I don't necessarily would call it nickeling and diming it. I, I mean, I think it's probably more smart with their money. Um, yeah. From a you know, Harden took his his discount to allow the, some other players to come in, and now they sh- they ship off Thibel and bring in McDaniel's, and so and from what Keith says, and and he says McDaniel's is a, a major upgrade over Thibel. So right. um, Thibel really it, dropped off a cliff this year, but defensively, it, he's an asset for sure. It, and they've been winning over the mm-hmm. last you know month and a half here, so. Um, I, I think they're being smart with what they're doing. Okay. All right. I, I'm worried about it, their depth. I'm well, definitely it, worried it, about their depth. And, and from a, a, from a tax standpoint, the fact that they could get down, you know, they, they got some wiggle room now to, if they need to sign like a 10 day here or there, but they probably won't need to, but th- that gets them down because in the difference in 
the NBA with the tax is you're a repeater when you're three out of the last four years. It's not like Major League Baseball where if you're over it or each year, it escalates. So the fact that they're keeping themselves down sort of helps them reset in the long run so that they may not have to pay that repeater tax if they go up again. Do you think they're in the in the candidacy for any buyout players? Possibly. I, I don't yeah. know which ones that they would be in the let me see. Yeah. They have 14 on their roster right now. So they're 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 there's a strong chance that they'll bring in somebody mm-hmm. and see who I mean there's immediately there were four or five players that were said to be buyout candidates. Yeah, they're and- probably a team if let me rephrase this. If I am a Philadelphia 76ers front office, then yes, I'm looking at some of these players that are getting bought out and I want to bring them in for the fact of we need depth going into the playoffs. That's right. Yeah. I mean, Keith posted a piece for us a couple days ago that sort of uh, predicted a bunch of these buyouts and we added half a dozen names to it in the past couple of days because some of these trades predicated moves that we knew were going to be bought out. And look, now that the deadline's passed, teams are going to look around their current rosters and say, well, you know, we got four centers. <laughs> you know, I think there's a good chance Blake Griffin's one of those players, even though I think he's very valuable. Uh, but Boston made a move like that today, right? I mean, that's that's one of those names that could just get tossed around that could get thrown on a minimum salary against somewhere else. But there's probably two dozen players that Keith has identified already that could easily become contending depth pieces over the next, what is it, until March 4th? Players uh, can Mar- get signed until March fourth, March first to be playoff eligible, right? Mm-hmm. So we got a couple of weeks here, but that's where we turn immediately. It's kind of like when the uh, the NFL draft happens, the uh, the undrafted players just start flowing into Twitter on the dozens. You're going to start seeing buyout names immediately now with the NBA, and some of those names you're going to recognize because they're big, big names. Russell Westbrook, I believe, will be one of them, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. He's definitely going to probably be bought out of the, uh, out of Utah. But this is why a lot of teams keep fourteen right now in their roster because then they have that roster flexibility. They can do a ten day trial mm-hmm. with somebody. They can have that minimum salary. Um, so you're you're going to see teams like you know Boston could be one of these players again, like they did last year. So. Um, yeah. yeah, I won't be surprised if Philadelphia is in that boat either for the depth. I think it makes I think it makes a lot of sense. But getting under the tax threshold does make good business sense as well. So yeah, um, to, to say that, you know, Brooklyn dropped their tax from mm. 108 all the way down to 12.4. I am kind of shocked that they didn't make another move to mm. potentially get them even lower to get that uh even below the tax line. But you know, they could always um they, set themselves up for future years to not have to pay as much tax. But that's a team with the amount of players that went out, they reduced that tax bill by substantial amount. Well, just looking ahead to next year for Brooklyn, they've got about 17 million of tax base to work with, work with right now. There's not much of a roster there. You know, it's kind of a mishmash roster. So there's going to be some, some, some ins and outs, mads and subtractions for sure. But they did clear future the future deck here a little bit, which obviously that's when you lose two superstars or three over mm-hmm. 18 months. That's what has to happen. Uh, it was the year of the second round pick. We've it talked about this. Was. We've talked about this before. 
Um, I've, I saw some people joking about it, how if if this was the NFL, it'd be a seventh round pick that got. And I don't think mm-hmm. that's right. Right. Is that fair? I mean, we see quite a few second round picks in the NBA hit more than more than. I mean, it's not 50. It's not 50. percent. No. But it's a decent amount that at least stick around and have a decent NBA career. And then, of course, you've got your was Giannis a second rounder, right? I mean, I was, no, <laughs> he was the first rounder. He was first. 15th. Draymond 15th. was, I think, right? There were there was a couple names out there that really rose to stardom. Um, and every so often you get one of those. So it's probably more like a fifth yeah, round pick. He was. Draymond was, you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's probably like a fifth round pick in the NFL. But you know, could you imagine an NFL team shipping off five fifth round picks for a number two for Sam Darnold? Which is basically what happened today, right? Jane Wiseman became Sam Darnold in the NBA, a player who just busted out yeah. of Golden State. So the second round pick is interesting because if you go and look at the tracker, you'll see a mishmash of types of contracts that are being signed. You see one year two ways or a two year two way or a three or a four year deal. Uh, the, the There is no... Uh, scale for second round picks in the NBA. So teams don't get a, uh, you know, if if it's a first round pick, they get a rookie scale exception when they sign them. So they can sign those rookies to go over the cap. Second rounders, there is no exception to it. So if you're going to sign them, you're either signing them to this two-way, you're having to use cap space or a mid-level exception or a sure. minimum exception. So there's a wide range and you know some some of the players will end up getting you know a nice uh, guaranteed amount uh, for so it's like an undrafted free agent in football. Yeah, right? es- essentially. So yeah. the fact that all these second round picks were being flown all around is it, it's interesting, but it I think it goes to show that teams are now valuing second round picks more than they have in the past. Can I, I mean, can I give you a reason why they might be? Sure. Be- what do you think? Because the rule is changing with college basketball and mm-hmm. some of these high school kids are coming out and maybe more unknown or maybe undervalued, or maybe we're scared to take a 17 year old kid. And maybe that's where the second round becomes super valuable with a couple of these kids who aren't in the pipeline there. They didn't take the same process that a lot of these players did, or we got a guy who doesn't look like he's ready physically to play in the NBA right now, but we're going to G league this kid and the G league is only going to get stronger and stronger. You know how this thing is evolving. Second rounders can now become those players. And you hit on one of those guys, you know, Taylor Horton Tucker, and and you get yourself a couple of years of really good valued production, right? Yeah, that's an excellent point. Um, so the fact that we're seeing, you know, five, I'll give you five second round picks for this player or four second round picks for this player. A lot of people were, were chuckling on Twitter for that, but I think it's a sign that the second round pick is no longer just a draft and stash or just a, a guy you're going to potentially bring in and, you right. know, end up waving him. There, the evolution of the two-way contract and um, just – players are deeper, you know, not only do we have college, but you've got the G league ignite, you've got OTE, you've got overseas, right? Uh, you have the, the maturation of AAU and players playing all over at young ages. So I think it, it's a combination of, 
you know, players getting better at a younger age. So by the time they do get to the NBA, then you bring in the the high school player. So you're you're not only just focusing on college per se, and then some draft and stashes, excuse me, uh, right. overseas. Your 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 range of players is now opened up because of all these different avenues. So yeah. teams are seeing this and they're wanting to acquire them because if they are this valuable, then you can go to the future and say, all right, instead of just needing maybe two first round picks, it's a first round pick and four second rounders because the second rounder is worth X amount of first rounders now. So uh, it'll be interesting to see teams that are acquiring these second round picks, how they're actually going to utilize them. So Golden State gets five seconds and ends up with Gary Payton, their old buddy, in the same move, a four-teamer. We had two four-team trades today, by the way, which is just... Actually, three. Was it three? It ended up... So last minute as these trades are coming in, the Durant trade is ending ending up to be a four-team trade with uh, <laughs> Ibaka Hill going to the Pacers situation. And then we ended up having the... Lakers, Nuggets, Magic, Clippers are all grouped into one. So that's the the Beverly Bamba, Thomas Bryant. That's all going to be one. And then you ended up having the uh, four-teamer that was the Wiseman, Bay, Knox, Payton, which we'll see if that actually does come out as being a four-team. But from all the reports – it, it was a four-team, so we'll see when it actually goes official. But we're looking at potentially three four-teamers, and then there were a couple three-teamers. It's just the best. No other sport can claim to this at all. No. I mean, not even close. So it's it's just the best. No, but you're right. The, the, the Golden State sweeping in at the last minute here to get Peyton, I think, is huge for the long run. You know, that, that was that defender that we talked about going into the offseason that the, the – uh, Warriors were losing. He ended up getting his, you know, his contract, and now he's coming back. So uh, I, I think it works out because they shipped out Wiseman, who we all—he he was, a, you know, a shell of himself. He spent a ton of time in the G League. Uh, it, it didn't seem like Golden State really knew what to do with him. Um, so the fact that they were able to get that contract off of their books and bring in Peyton—huge upgrade. Can I tell you why I love it? Um, there's two reasons. One is stuff out for weeks. They could have just mailed this thing in like they did when they drafted Wiseman, right? They didn't, you know, even though they're going to be a mediocre team for the rest of the way here, most likely they admitted two mistakes at the exact same time here out loud. James Wiseman was a mistake. Our bad. Let's move on. Letting Gary Payton Jr. Walk in free agency was a mistake. Let's get him back and move on. It's it makes me love him even more. Not not just that they go crazy with money like my Mets are doing right now, and just put f- basketball over financials consistently on the court. That they make all the right moves with when they're bad, go down and tank and get your picks. They are so damn conscious of roster construction and positional management. There's so much to like about this team. And uh, if this was Bob Myers' parting shot. And it might be right. It might be talking about him walking out the door here. Mm-hmm. Um, Eaton Crow on two mistakes he made is just the classiest mother effing way to go. It really is. Yeah, without it having is to say, such it. a great move. 
Yeah. It is such a great move. So I don't know if it's, it's worth a damn for the rest of the season, but you just don't see front offices do this and admit and eat, eat their crow and, and, and say, look, we're going to make it happen. We, we know what worked. We tried to get cute and it didn't work out. So we got to go back to what works in this, in this front office because obviously we were doing something right there. I, I love it. I absolutely love it. Well, And I love it for the fact that they moved off Wiseman early enough that they don't have to deal and talk about extension or anything yeah. like that or signing him again. Peyton is locked up for next year on a guaranteed and then a player option 24. So they've sort of offset or staggered their salaries a little bit there. Um, and it's, you know, eight, seven next year, nine, one, if he opts in. So there's a trade piece again, if they needed to, for some reason, want to move on from him next year, but I don't foresee that happening, you, but you know what the Wiseman thing reminds me of a little bit. You're right. They, they could have waited to the final hour and then just cut bait when it was cheapest. They could have done that. It reminds me of Arizona cutting bait with Josh Rosen, the quarterback that they drafted when they just had to say out loud, holy cow. This guy just doesn't have it. He just doesn't have it. We're gonna we're gonna move this guy out for whatever freaking draft pick we can get, and it's and we're just gonna move on with our lives. Now they walked themselves into Kyler Murray because of how bad he was. So there was certainly a light at the end of the tunnel. But we just didn't see teams doing that with rookie wage scale quarterbacks until that move. And to to give up on our number two pick this early, you're right. With time still left, they could have slow played this more. I, it's just an, another credit to Golden State. I, you had to do it. Um, the five second round picks sounds ridiculous, but when you talk it out a little bit, it's pretty damn good. Could yeah, be pretty damn good value. Majority of the teams would have waited this out and waited to the, you know, yeah. that last, the last last minute to try to decide what they wanted to do, mm -hmm. and so they they cut bait and move on. And obviously, the tax they they went down and then came up. I think they're okay paying the tax that they're going to do it for getting up Gary Payton back. So we'll see how it goes as far as the standings wise with Steph being injured. I mean, they're uh, as of right now, they're in the ninth seed. So, you mm. know, they're, 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 it's a tough crawl. It is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the West got really freaking good today. They did. Um, other financial storylines you can throw at me here. Yeah. So, um, well, I guess it's not, uh, let's see. Um, Phoenix, they dropped a bit because they moved off Sarge. I think uh, they're down to like 48, even with Durant now. Let me double check mm -hmm. that number. Um, so they did some last minute moves with getting off of that. Uh, yeah, they're down to 48.7. So they were up high, even with Durant. Mm -hmm. And then they moved off. So they, they brought their tax bit down quite a bit. Um, uh, you already mentioned the late or the Clippers. I'm, I'm going through some of the notes I had posted here. That's about it there. I mean, we going back to the second round picks, there were, at least from the reports that I have from coming through, there were 40 second round picks in total, seven firsts. And most of those firsts were obviously Durant. Durant. Yeah. So otherwise there, there weren't many firsts that got floated around. It was all second round. Picks. You know, that is fascinating, Scott, that only seven first went amidst all these massive trades. There's, there's a premium on those right now. A, a massive, massive premium. Well, and, and, and uh, a lot of the teams have acquired 
all these first round picks. Oklahoma That's right. City, Utah, you know, they they own the rights to a lot of the first round picks. So there's not really a lot of first round picks to go around. So that could be another inflation of the second round pick is that there aren't first round picks to really throw around. So they have to go to the second round pick. Um, I, I was really hoping OKC was going to be a buyer here. Um, especially after seeing them against that, against that Lakers team. I saw them against Boston recently. They're really starting to round into form, and they don't even have Chet on the right. court yet. You know? Yeah, let, let, let's go there. Oklahoma City, Memphis, okay. Sacramento. Those yeah. were three teams that I really wanted to see them take that next jump, and I get it. They like the team that they have, but after having seen Phoenix pull off what they did, I'm mm-hmm. I'm kind of shocked that those three teams didn't do more because um, like Oklahoma City, yes, Chet is out, so you're going to get him, and it's sort of like an acqui- a brand new acquisition going into next season. So using some of your picks, you they could have really set themselves up for uh, yeah. you know the future, unless they you know they've got they obviously have a plan and it's working because they've been playing well, but Sacramento and Memphis being up at the top, number two and number three seeds right now. And they really didn't do anything outside of Memphis moving off of Danny green. Um, I'm kind of surprised that they didn't do more. I think Memphis is going to be heavy in the buyout market. And that's the only saving grace I can find for them because I really wanted them to shake things up a little bit. I think their complacency oh, is, they is did bring dangerous. In, they did bring in Luke Kennard. I That's do right. like that. So That's they right, did the do something. Yep. I I I do like that move. They moved off the Danny Green to bring in Kennard. So that's a, a nice upgrade. I forgot about that yeah. one. Yeah. And I think they'll be buyout heavy. Sacramento's gonna have a tough, a tough, you know, a tough uh climb to get some of these buyout players in the door with so many of the other contenders probably vying for a lot of these big names, but um I think they're satisfied maybe with where they are right now in 2022, 23, and just understand that they can use this as a stepping stone piece because they know what's in front of them. They, they, you know, oh, they actually do. There's a saw sitting in front of them right now, and they're being realistic about what they are. And I, I kind of appreciate that. Yeah, I do too. And and Mike Brown's done a nice job with that roster to really move around. They brought in Kessler Edwards from Brooklyn, so yep. um, they get a short-term trial on him and if not then move on from him so if they're if they're fine with their roster as is and they think they can go deep with then i have no qualms about it but you know for a team that finally has a uh, a chance yeah a heartbeat uh, yeah okay let's fight let's rapid fire ourselves out of this conversation i I have one one other thing before we do that um, Maybe we're going to so say I, the same I, thing. <laughs> so I ran through all of the trades hmm. and two teams did not make any acquisitions. Okay. I we were going the know. same place. We were going okay. the same place. Okay. So yeah. an, let's answer it this way. I'm going to give you a team. You tell me what you think. What, what the first thing you think of when you think of this team now? Cleveland. They know who they are. Miami. That's a correct answer. Chicago. <laughs> Silence again. Yeah. yeah. No. They don't know. I don't. I, writing's on the wall for Chicago, I yeah. think. Yeah. Chicago's a, 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 a 
ticking time bomb that's going to detonate June 30th, in my opinion. Um, Miami, I don't know. Miami's stuck. Miami is legitimately stuck. They feel like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in football right now, where it's just like, man, I like some names, but if they don't win, they can't do anything. (laughs) But they've made some... Do you like that? I I don't like the roster completely. No, I don't either. I I think they're at a point where they have to trade Jimmy, Scott. Lowry's old. Um, I think trading Jimmy is the right way. I think the Duncan Robinson... Yeah. Signing is not looking great. Yeah. Um, you know, Tyler Hero's contract isn't even in in the books yet. Yeah. You got Bam, uh, Jimmy. You're right, but he's he did an extension, so I know. he's going to have some high salaries. I, I really don't like the way this roster is flushing out. So come come this off season, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Portland. I don't know that that that's an interesting that's an interesting team too. You and I had a conversation offline. We th- we yeah. thought Jeremy Grant was going to go because yeah. you know he's he says he's not going to do the extension. Maybe, maybe there's been conversations of yeah we're not going to do the extension, but we'll sign with you because we have your rights and we can sign you to a higher amount. Um, he's too expensive to buy out, right? Yeah, I don't see them buying him out. I think they I think they like themselves a hell of a lot more than any of us like them. And that might be to their credit. I, I think they're I think they're trending up in Portland. I'll put it that way, even though there's a hell of a lot of teams ahead of them right now. Milwaukee. They're solid. Yeah. I think they're the leader in the clubhouse here. Mm-hmm. I really, really do. And I give Boston a lot of credit, but um Milwaukee kind of knows how to get this done with the roster that they have, um, I think holding court made a lot of sense. Oh, and they and like I said, they added defense and uh, Abaka, yeah, and uh, they got rid of Abaka, brought in Crowder, Crowder, and so you know it just makes them that much better for the law for the remaining season and going into the postseason because you're going to need that defense. Where was I going? Washington, your hometown. Oh my God. They are false positive, right? It's another false positive. Yes. That's a great, yes, great term for them. Yes, 100%. Kuzma was a, is he going to go? Is he not? Yeah. KP, he has a player option. They're going to buy out Barton. what are they doing? They, they, Johnny Davis, they they drafted, and I mean, everyone was scratching their head with that one. And yeah, I think there's like a ninety nine point six percent chance that Bradley Beal is there July first. Excuse me, a Laker July first. Yeah, I think we're getting closer to that. It's point. time. It's time. It has to happen. It's it's enough of that. The Clippers, last team. Clippers made a hell of a lot of moves today. I mean, they shook up their their wing set. They traded Reggie Jackson, who was, I believe will get bought out from Charlotte and could be back on a good roster soon. They, they made a lot of moves, more moves than I thought they were going to make. And uh, I, I just don't know. I, I, did they need uh, to shake up that starting five? Well, yes, I think so. Okay. It, 
Is Eric Gordon going to stick? Be, being in the sixth seed and they could drop if someone gets injured. Yeah. Um, Eric Gordon coming in, getting rid of Wall, who's been injured. So he's <laughs> been a non-factor anyway. So you at least bring someone that can be a factor. You bring in Bones Highland. Um, I, I If I had to put what are they doing, they're, they're throwing some stuff at a wall and hoping it's going to stick. I, I feel the same system. way. I mean, I know Kennard was having a, a brutal season, but he's still a 45% three-point shooter, and you sent him to a Western Conference contender in Memphis, right? Um, I, I like the Plumley move. I think getting some size makes sense on that roster after seeing them a couple times this past week. I, I, I don't love it. I don't, I don't love what the Clippers did today. They felt like yeah, a but, team that was desperate. But that's a, that's a good point with the, with the size because the teams yeah. that we've talked about the Lakers brought in size. Um, well, let up, me finish. Other- let me finish oh, yeah. this conversation with this. How? What do you think of the Clippers if and when they bring in Russell Westbrook after he's bought out? Because I have a feeling that's where we're headed here, Scott. I I, I think I would like the move, especially having seen him come mm-hmm. off the bench. Yeah, and how he was producing there, coming off the bench and being a sixth man, and you know, again, depth is needed. I like I love teams that are deep going into the playoffs. So if you're, uh, if you're the Clippers and you can bring in a Westbrook on a minimum deal, that's way better than a forty-seven million dollar deal. So, yeah, the, I, mean, I, I I have no qualms about it. They're they're at fourteen, so they have room yeah. to bring in a player. Um, they're going to pay tax anyways, so if you bring them in on the minimum, yeah, I think it's possible. Okay, it was a good deadline. I mean, this is as we've expect come to expect now with this NBA trade deadline. Teams really, really, and by the way, I, I said it with Keith. I'll say it with you. I give credit to the league. I mean, the league added play in playing tournaments and all sorts of reasons and change the yeah. lottery rules so that the, you know, tanking was going to be at a minimum, the bottom three or four are going to do something about it. But there's 20 teams. I, I mean, we, you didn't even finish your thought. There's 28 of 30 teams this week made a trade, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, so either in or out that that's outstanding. If you're sitting at the top of this league, looking down saying, how, how does our league look from a, you know, a global standpoint, everybody's active. Everybody, it's phenomenal. So you know, yeah, even Chicago even, and Cleveland, I guess, right? Well, even <laughs> even the teams that are at the very bottom, who yeah. are you know tanking for Wimbanya, and and you know, I saw a lot of people today bitching about being able to take on bad contracts just to buy them out, just to get yourself draft picks. Do we really hate that? You know what? It's funny that you bring that Do up. We hate I, it. I actually thought about this today or yesterday or whatever it was, but I actually thought of this and I don't actually hate it. Um, because it's I was thinking Peter of the Payne Spurs. Paul, right. I mean, you know, it's, it's allowing revenue sharing to happen via transactions instead of just right money behind the scenes. I think it's great. Right. Yeah. If, if the San Antonio Spurs or the Indiana Pacers want to take on junk and buy them out and, and acquire picks so that they can get right. better. Right. What, what, it, what is wrong with that? That's you know? exactly how I feel. That's exactly how I feel. Everybody's still paying the salaries. You know, nobody's not getting their money. It's a guaranteed contract. Well, 
Well, and then it's going to, you know, the circle of life of the NBA, these teams get the picks, they're going to draft these players. Yeah. And then at some point they're going to trade them anyways. So they're going to, it's all going to work out. But the fact that all these teams have been active for the most part, it's, it's something else because you really don't see it in any other league from a, a trade standpoint or a trade deadline standpoint, or. I know, really do think Scott that especially the last couple of years, all this stuff we're talking about here has motivated other leagues to do more teams in other leagues to do more, because I feel like they look at the NBA teams, especially like an OKC who's in the mix of it now, right? What about Utah who traded Gobert and Mitchell, right? An hour and a half ago and are right in the middle of this thing right now. Right. And couldn't really even sell all the pieces we thought they were going to sell because they're too damn good. They made smart moves today. They did some shedding. They still got some picks back all the stuff we knew Danny Ainge was going to do, but it wasn't to the degree that we thought it was going to be in October, right? We thought this deadline for Utah was going to be the absolute rock bottom ground zero. Let's just get 97 picks and go. They couldn't do it because their basketball team was too damn good. And I want football teams to think like this. I want football teams to think we can be buyers and sellers all at the same time. We can acquire second round picks in two or three years down the line or whatever it's going to be but also get better for right now. We got to think about right now because we're what a game and a half out of our division or, you know, from a wild card. Let's not think about that as we can never win the Super Bowl, And let's think about that as we can get better today. Let's get better today. So yeah. I, I, I think it could be infectious. And, and by the way, the NFL trade deadlines have been better. NFL offseason trading has been better. So I, I wonder if it's not rubbing off on some other leagues here. Yeah, you're right. The, the play-in tournament, I think, has definitely helped because we saw this last year, um, more teams jockeying. Uh, the, the the odds for the lottery have been the last last few years. But the play-in is more new. So I, I think the, the having the play-in saying you've got a chance because you have to yeah. think the, the cutoff being at eight, that just means that nine and 10 are trying to get to the eight. Now you have 11, 12, maybe even 13 trying to get to 10. And so you have, you know, 85% of the league trying to get into the playoffs as opposed to, you know, 60%. So I think, and, and oh, by the, the way, those teams that are in the ninth seat that, you know, most people say, well, they're never going to win the t- title. Why would they even try? I'll tell you why. Because guess how much money they make on three home playoff games in a series? Correct. Millions. Yep. Millions. Okay. And every owner's looking down at the front office and saying, just get us in, baby. Just get us in. Let's be relevant in June. That's all I, that's all I need from you. That's it. Well, and, and because of how they structured this play in tournament, it, you know, it, if you catch the right team at the wrong time, maybe they have a massive injury for a one game. And yeah. you win that one game and then you lock yourself in, then, you know, it's like it a just, 51% chance Chris Paul gets hurt again in the playoffs, right? I mean, that's all it yeah. takes. Right, exactly. <laughs> so I, I love where the league is from a transactional standpoint, just because it adds, you know, the, the storyline. And keep in mind, a month ago, we were all hearing crickets. Yeah. from this league. There was nothing going on. And I even said out Keith, loud on a bunch of shows that it was going to be boring. It was going to be yeah, boring. Keith, and I Keith, and I, me, had, I guess. Keith and I had conversations back and forth and he's like, man, this is, it's really weird. It's, <laughs> it's really quiet he, he, around the league. They're, they're just, 
really slow playing the situation because of how condensed the roster is. And I mean, I was on here a couple of weeks ago saying the same thing. The, the, the standings are so condensed and when push comes to shove, there's going to be something, but I think the Kyrie mm-hmm. and then the Durant and then everything started to hit it like literally 12 o'clock. It was bam, 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 because nine o'clock in the East coast for whatever reason. And you know, everything just dominoed from there. But yeah. I don't think it's a surprise that we had this many from a jockeying standpoint. You made you made a, a point to me of salary dumping. Yeah, there was a lot of salary dumping. There was a yeah. lot of movement from that standpoint. Uh, but teams that are trying to set themselves up for the offseason, because you, you look at the free agents that could potentially be out there, you know, teams want to set themselves up. So um, – it, it it's great to see because I mean there's been years where we had no trades and it was real dull. So the those fact days that are done. Those, those days, days are gone. Right, those days are done. Definitely, it's just going to be interesting to see is this a trend with these second round picks based on what we we just talked about, or is it just an anomaly for this year? Good stuff, man. We'll be back All soon. Right. Thanks a lot. All right, my thanks to Scott. Great work today at the trade deadline. My thanks to Keith Smith as well, who has been providing us articles, updates, blurbs, communications, and uh, all that stuff. NBA du jour, right? That's how he, that's what he operates. He is 24-7 NBA, and we are lucky to have him on board as well. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast.